0: Well, again, good morning, Cross Point Community Church. It is so good to see my friends here. Whether you're visiting with us this morning or you are a regular attender, we're so glad you are here. Yes, would you turn your attention to the back there? Apparently we are studying about cherries this morning. So, I'm going to dismiss all of the first through third graders who parents would like them to go to the second floor to hear the gospel talk. Danielle and Hank back there, thank you for our faithful workers, servants of God who serve these children so well. So now is your time to head back. Well, they are heading back. I want to invite all of you this morning. Please take your Bibles, your devices, and turn with me to Romans chapter eleven right in the heart of the second half of the book of Romans Romans chapter 11 we're going to find encouragement and exhortation this morning from these dynamic verses before we read these verses you will remember last week as our midway refresher course through the book of Romans we were we've been through Romans for a year and a half now we took a bit of a break um, talking about some necessary church matters and just uh, uh, kind of tune-ups for some different things, especially how we handle differences in the body of Christ. Talked of that for about a month, month and a half. Now we are back into Romans, but last week we took a refresher course. Why? Because as we head from chapter 8 into chapter 9, these truths must be crystal clear in our minds. They must be fresh in our minds. So that's why we took a whole week last week to remind ourselves of these things. I'll just mention them. The theme of the book of Romans, found in Romans chapter 1, 16, and 17, is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, by which God Himself reveals His own righteousness. By now you probably have these verses memorized, Romans 1, 16 and 17, because we state them every week. <laughs> Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Well, let's try that again. It is the what? It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, catch this, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. All oh, these are so powerful verses. Showing us the sufficiency of the gospel to bring us into relationship with God, but then showing us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient to keep us in relationship with God to be lived our entire lives, to transform everything about us. My friends, that statement right there, to the just shall live by faith is what we're going to be looking at in the second half. Of the book of Romans. So we have the gospel. Last week, we remind ourselves that God's righteousness is revealed through condemnation, God's righteousness is revealed through justification, God's righteousness is revealed through sanctification, and God's righteousness is revealed through glorification. All of those are defined on your handout you have in front of you there if you'd like to go back or go back and listen to last week's uh, review. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, when we come to the end of chapter 8, for all true believers, and I intend to say it this way, for all true believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we, we can't help but acknowledge that this gospel, God's redemptive plan of salvation, is absolutely amazing. Why is this amazing? Well, because very clearly, all the way through this text, the gospel of Jesus Christ is amazing because God is amazing. This entire gospel is not for us to simply make ourselves feel good. We are not at the center of the gospel. Please catch this, because this transitions from chapter 8 right into 9 through 16. We are not at the center of the gospel God is at the center of His gospel. This is the book of Romans. This is God's truths revealing God's righteousness through God's gospel. His good news. So what should our practical response be? This is what we ended up with last week. What should our response be to God's gospel? We are to worship this triune God fully and faithfully. We are to worship this God with all we have by His grace. Catch this as you follow the story of the first eight chapters of Romans as sinners, enemies of a holy God, now brought into relationship by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ. We cannot help but fully worship Him. When we realize that we come to the end of Romans chapter 8, and what does Paul dynamically state? Because of this gospel, you who are once enemies, guess what? You are no longer enemies of God. No, he says, you are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. My friends, in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Now as we take these truths from Romans chapter 1 through 8, traveling into Romans 9 through 16, we see more of this wonderful, beautiful God. What has Paul done through the book so far? He has taken the God of all creation and He has lifted Him high. This is the intention of all of human existence. That we would glorify God. That we would see Him as sovereign over all. My friends, that is the approach to the next chapters in this wonderful book. Lift high this God. Worship Him. This redemption plan, as much as we like to think this is all about us, we are simply God's people pointing to the sovereign hand of a glorious God to worship Him. So when we come to Romans 9 through 16, I want us to start the chapter that is on your lap right now. You've turned to Romans chapter 11. This is at the heart of these next chapters. This is the response of the Apostle Paul. After through God's Spirit, he reveals to us some truths about this God. Honestly, they're truths that we don't keep at an arm's distance, even though they make us possibly, possibly, naturally, uncomfortable in some senses. They should not. These are truths that we do not keep in an arm's distance. These are truths that we embrace with all we have. And that is exactly what Paul says as he comes to the end of Romans chapter 11 leading into Romans tw- chapter 12. Right at the heart between the two movements in the last half of this book, we find these verses. Romans chapter 11, 33. And I'm going to read all the way to chapter 12, verse 2. This is essentially the theme of the second half of Romans. Verse 33. Oh the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Verse 34. For who who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? <laughs> Quick time out. We could ask ourselves that every single day. We so quickly want to weasel up on the throne of creation, the throne of sovereignty in our own lives. How appropriate is this verse for every one of us? Who's known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Verse 35, who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Verse 36, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. But then it transitions us right into the beauty of Romans chapter 12. Would you look with me at Romans chapter 12 verse 1? I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Some of your translations will say your reasonable service. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world around you to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect this amazing text is right as we've already mentioned at the heart of Romans 9 through 16 as you look at Romans 9 6 through 16, there's two major movements. At the first part of Romans, you find four major movements. Condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. At the second part of Romans, you find two major movements. One is extolling God's sovereign election. Joyfully extolling the one who creates and sustains all life. Moving right into chapters 12 through 15 that shows that the gospel is not meant to just give us a different eternal destiny. The gospel is meant to transform every day of our lives. Everything we do is to be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's look at the first main theme in the second half of Romans. Which would be this. I'm just going to overview this this morning. This is kind of this preview. Again, we're on this journey. And so this morning, I am your, essentially your, your tour guide. And this is what we're going to see, my friends. You're on the bus. This tour bus is about to leave. What are you going to see on this section of the tour? Well, you're going to see, my friends, in chapters 9 through 11, God's righteousness revealed through this election. Right away, when we think of this election, this is not election as in placing a vote for a candidate and hoping for a good outcome. (laughs) Okay, You're barking up the wrong tree if you think that's what this election is about. What is this then? This is the biblical truth that we must embrace, my friends. Why? Because unless we want to enter the Bible, and we've already talked about this, unless we want to enter into the study of Scriptures with whiteout and say, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't like that, we must embrace the doctrine of sovereign election. It is in the Word of God. What am I talking about? This is the fact, the biblical truth. That God's, of God's sovereign selection and establishment of his own people of faith. Romans 9 through 11 is full of examples of divine election. I love this. Why examples, by the way? Why is Paul going through Romans 9 through 11 and say, here's an example in the Old Testament, here's another example, here's another example, here's another example? Why does he do this? Well, you got to go back to what we talked about last week. Do you remember who is sitting there receiving this, this epistle? It's a body of believers made up of Jews and Gentiles alike. Jews who have a background in tradition, who, who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is sovereign over all. We're going to see this in just a minute. Why? Because He started it all. What do I mean? He took Abraham. Think about Abraham if you would for a minute. Abraham. We're talking about a pagan worshiper taken out of the nations made to bear God's redemptive plan. This is not foreign language to the Jews. The Gentiles know very well of God's sovereign election, I believe, because they are ones who are steeped in pagan idolatry in, in the city of Rome. And God, by His grace, pulled them out of this pagan idolatry. So there's Jews and Gentiles alike in this congregation. Why does Paul give over and over and over again Old Testament examples? Because he wants to see that this is not a new discussion. My friends, if you enter into Romans 9-11, through 11, it's like, Oh, I can't take this because this is new. No, you just have to open your Bibles at the very beginning. And see exactly what we saw in Isaiah that God is sovereign over all. Where do you see this? Would you look with me at verse nine, uh, 11 of chapter 9? I just want to, a couple examples that I'll just share real quickly as, as we look forward to unpacking this. By the way, we don't impact this with fear and trepidation, no, we impact this with joy. <laughs> This is a great concept to embrace, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will preface this by saying, if you're trying to figure this all out, you will not. But I will tell you, this is not something we run from. This is something we embrace. What do I mean? Look with me at verse 11 of chapter 9, using the example of Jacob and Esau. Verse 11, Paul says, Though they were not yet born... There you have it. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, (laughs) in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. This is the sovereign God that we serve. Would you go with me to Romans chapter 11, verses 5 through 7? Following the example of one of the greatest prophets in all of the Old Testament, this is a prophet who said, "I'm the only one." Remember the story? And God says, "No, you're not. I have all of these prophets in my name, thousands and thousands of prophets in my name. You're not the only one, buddy. I'm doing my work." So Elijah, the greatest prophet, one of the believe one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Through his woes, Paul talks of this example. We'll see this in the next couple months unfold. Verse 5 says, So too at the present there is a remnant chosen. Okay, that's the word elected. Same Greek word. Chosen by grace. It is not what you did to earn this election. It is God's grace to provide this election. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the base of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. (laughs) You can't find a more practical statement. It is of grace. If it is on you, it is no longer of grace. It's not an either or. or, or Sorry, it's not a both and. It is in either or. What then? Verse 7 I'm reading. What then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. (laughs) All right, let's go to Romans chapter eleven, the last part. You're already in Romans eleven. Now let's go to the last part, chapter eleven, verses twenty-five through twenty-eight. Put that up there. This is discussing God's partial hardening of Israel and the inclusion of the Gentiles, which is. This is God's redemptive plan. Verse 25, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Verse 26, And in this way all Israel will be saved. We're going to be talking about that in, well, half a year. (laughs) A couple months, actually. As it is written the deliverer will come from Zion he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when i take away their sins verse 28 as regards to the gospel they are enemies for your sake ooh but as regards to election they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers Very clearly, when you step into Romans 9-11, through you're realizing, we are realizing, my friends, that this discussion is so much bigger than me or you. We like to dial in on all of the finals of this. All of the details. When you read through this passage, you realize that this God is working on a canvas that we cannot ever completely comprehend. We're going to dial in on several of these things, and we're going to trust them by His grace. We're going to embrace this with joy. But we understand that God's righteousness is seen as He is establishing His own people of faith in Christ alone. So, this discussion on sovereign election, on selection, on establishment of God's people, quite honestly, even though it is clearly taught in Scripture this is foreign terminology to many believers in the 21st century. However, I want to assure you, this would not have been foreign to the first century church. And by God's grace, this will not be foreign to Crosspoint Community Church. Why? Because God has called me as your preaching pastor to preach the whole counsel of God, including Romans 9-11. through 11 including the very hopeful, joyful doctrine of divine election. The point being, God's election of His own people was not taboo discussion in the first century, just like it should not be taboo discussion in the 20th century church. If God sovereignly chose Adam and Noah and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Isaiah... And every true believer who placed faith in the promised Messiah in the Old Testament, why could He not choose any and every member of His new covenant body of believers? The biblical fact, Old Testament to New Testament, is anyone who has ever been part of God's redemptive adoption. And I love that concept of adoption. Hold to the concept of adoption with all you have. Every aspect of adoption as we see here. This anyone who has ever been part of God's redemptive adoption was first selected, elected, chosen by God, who is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all life. If this is doubtful in your mind, please take a careful read this week at Ephesians one go to first peter 1 go back to genesis 12 through 17 go back to exodus chapters 3 and 4 that this god blows our mind with his sovereignty now i understand i do that, that we're not all going to be on the same page when it comes to the dynamics of doctrines of grace here in this church our understandings of these things my friends just what we talked about about a month ago that's okay. We're on this journey. So what do we do? Every one of us, and we're we'll talk about this in about 15 minutes as we close out the sermon, every one of us, what do we do? We come on Sunday mornings knowing there's different backgrounds here, knowing denominationally you come from a different denomination very possibly than the person sitting next to you or across the room from you. You've heard different discussions on this. What do you do? I'm not going to cram anything down your throat. I promise you. What I will do is faithfully preach God's Word. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to expose God's Word one phrase at a time, one verse at a time, and pray God's grace as He reveals these truths. So, when we get to Romans 9-11, through we're going to find... And this is on the back of your handout. You can kind of see the flow chart of 9 through 11. Paul acknowledges the election's tension. He does this to start off with. And what's the tension? Not all Israel is actually saved. We'll get into that even next week. Even though they were chosen by God to advance His redemptive plan, not everyone that is a Jew is saved. He clearly states that at the beginning. So that throws a little bit of a question then is this God trustworthy? So actually, as you look at Romans nine through eleven you can look at this as a defense of the righteousness of God. He is a trustworthy God. Well, we work right from that to the second movement of Romans nine through eleven that is election and God's sovereignty. Paul holds up God's sovereignty in chapter nine six through twenty nine. He clarifies election and god 's redemptive plan of faith. okay God is sovereign and God is working his plan, and he does this using sovereignly this faith. This is beautiful. This is how we come into relationship with this God faith. God sovereignly uses the faith of his people. Furthermore, chapter 11 God's election and God's people of faith. Who then are these people? Closing out, and I absolutely love this, with the passage we just read that heralds election's conclusion. That is praise to our sovereign God. If you get it get to the end of the discussion on God's sovereign election and you're downhearted and you're discouraged. And you don't want to talk to any other theologians ever. And I don't want to ever hear that pastor preach anymore. If we get to the end of this chapter with that mindset, we've missed the entire purpose of divine election. When we get to the end of Romans 11, what is heralded? This God is amazing! So worship Him as a living sacrifice. Chapter 12. That leads us... uh, By the way, here's some conclusions that I've written down. Because I understand the journey we're all in. This is a journey I started off with when I was even in junior high. Ironically enough, I remember a lesson that used to be to me, Pastor Ed Bootinger taught in Sunday school on divine election and free will. That got my mind thinking back. I'm talking about a sixth grader, seventh grader in middle school. Since then, my mind is engaged in these discussions: Bible college, seminary, postgrad work, thinking through these things. What does this mean? It is a journey. It is a journey for all of us. But here are some statements that God has constantly driven me to when it comes to this discussion. Here they are. And you will hear these over the next three months. God is God and I am not. Remember that statement? What's the conclusion you come to at the end of Romans 9-11? through Well, God is God and I am not. God is who He says He is and not who I want Him to be. God is God and He has the right to be God. God is God, and He does not need my permission to be God. I've written that one down. That helps guide me so often. God is God, and He does not need my permission to be God. Here's another one. God is God, and He does not need my advice on how to make His plan better. You ever tried that? God, here's how I could see your plan going a little bit more smoothly. There's another statement I try to remind myself of. God is God, and He has the right to advance His redemptive plan how He designed it. doesn't have to ask my permission. Is this designed okay? God is God, and He has the right to choose His adopted children, even if it includes both Jews and Gentile sinners, even if it, if it includes bringing in His people from the nations. By the way, if you want to see that unfold, just go to the book of John, where we see that not just Jews, but Gentiles, the whole world, can believe in this Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's another statement. God is God, and He has the right to use the faith of His adopted children in the equation. By the way, that is so anti-religion, isn't it? Any one of the world religions, modern cults will say, there's, if, if they acknowledge there's a supreme God, a supreme being, they will say there's a supreme being and you can make yourself available to the supreme being if you, and, and you can be accepted by the supreme being if you do enough good stuff. What, what is the difference between that and true gospel teaching? There's not one single thing you can ever do to impress this God. God has the right as God to use faith from his adopted children. Here's another one, and we'll see this as we interact very clearly with these passages. God is God, and He has the right to hold those who refuse to place faith in Christ responsible for their rejection. There's a massive argument through these texts that says that God holds those who reject Him responsible. These conclusions my friends run us right in line with Paul's conclusion in the verses we just stated and here they are I will read them one more time and I can't wait to get into these verses Oh the depth of the riches of the knowledge of wisdom of God how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord or who will be who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that He might be repaid. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. My friends, that is where we're headed in Romans 9-11. through As we overview this book, we run right into this section of verses that just highlights this God. Then it leads us, as we acknowledge the sovereignty of this God, it leads us into another discussion, and that is this. God's righteousness revealed through the transformation of His saved ones. His people. What are we talking about? We're talking about the real life change of those who have truly participated in God's saving mercy. This is so good. How does Paul say this? At the beginning of chapter 12, he says, if you'd look there with me, would you look at chapter 12, verse 1? I appeal to you. There's Paul is is appealing now to them. Almost like a plea based on the gospel that he's presented. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God. We're talking about the mercies that he has exposed for 11 chapters. By these mercies. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Let's try that one more time. I got it, Grandma Wiley. That was great. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. So now we have 12, 13, 14, 15, all talking about this wonderful transformation in the life of a believer. What are we talking about? We're talking about the real-life change of those who have truly participated in God's saving mercy. What does this transformation look like? Well, if you look on the back of your handout... I love this because Paul, through the Spirit, doesn't leave things out (laughs) for all of these chapters. Just look at it. Transformation in your own personal dedication or your own personal worship. This isn't just an outward thing. This is a personal thing before God. Dial that in first. It says the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get to the heart of who you are and minister from there. That is chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So transformation experience and personal worship. Transformation experienced in church body function. The gospel impacts what we do here. Transformation experienced in personal conduct. Transformation experienced, oh boy, here it comes, response to government. It's in the text. How you respond to the government, the civil government, shows how much you respect the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll go real quickly through that one. <laughs> transformation experienced in genuine love. Transformation experienced in anticipation of future salvation. Knowing the day's coming, it's nearer than when we believed. How are you going to act? And then transformation experienced in corporate worship. What is the point of all of what Paul's saying here? And we're going to say this over and over and over again. This phrase when we get to 12 through 15. This theme. The gospel is not simply meant to change our eternal standing. It is meant to transform our entire lives. You cannot just embrace the gospel and say, I'm good, I've got my fire insurance. No, the gospel is meant to change the way you act every day. The way you react every day the way you think every day the way you process information every day the gospel is not simply meant to change our eternal standing it is meant to transform our entire lives and that is a theme we'll see exposed in chapters 12 through 15 this will be the focus of our fall and winter studies all right as we're finishing up our view our overview of where we're headed on this tour bus Lastly, as you get to the book through the book of Romans, you're going to find this conclusion, and I love this. I love this. The conclusion is the the global impact of the gospel. God is doing a gospel work and establishing gospel centered relationship in gospel centered communities all over the known world. God is doing His work. When we get to Revelation, we see people from all kindred, tribe, language, nation, coming together and worshiping the Lamb. Why? Because God's gospel is doing a global work. My friends, guess what? Cross Point Community Church in Redding, California is part of this global work. God is doing a gospel work here, in this place, 2,000 years later. And so, so what? And even though you think we're about done, because I say, so what, right before we're done. This may be 10 minute longer, so what. But here's the so what. I think we really, as we come and overview this section of verses, chapters 9 through 15, 16 of Romans, we need to ask this question. Do I fully trust the God of the gospel? Catch that. Paul is getting at this. He asks question over question, question after question after question uh, through chapters 9 through 11. Here's a question, here's a question, and all of these questions seem to be leading towards this. Do you fully trust this God? Really? Okay, this God is the God who has redeemed your soul. Do you really trust Him? My mind goes back to the the disciple who cried out, Yes, I have faith. Help my unfaith. (laughs) I believe. Help my unbelief. Because day in, day out, sure, we place our, our trust in this saving God, but do you really trust him? Chapters 9 through 11, do you trust him enough to embrace him as a sovereign God of all creation? Do you really trust this sovereign God? That he is God and I am not? When you get to chapters 12 through 15, do I trust in him enough to live out his purposes? Do I trust this God enough to see my life transformed every moment of every day? This is an honest question. It must be answered as we work through these chapters. Practically, when you get to these discussions in Romans 9 through 11 and in 12 through 15, we are to lean fully on this sovereign God. What is the temptation of a humanistic world around us? This God that you cannot reason fully and understand completely. When you understand that Deuteronomy 29, 29 is still in the Scriptures, that there are secret things that belong only to God, you're not going to fully be able to reason this God in your mind. He is infinite. We are finite. What is the temptation of the world around us, the unregenerate world around us? It is to lean away from this sovereign God. What is the call for believers? It is to lean towards this sovereign God. And I'm going to tell you, this temptation isn't just in the unregenerate world around us. It is in those who even call themselves and are truly saved. What am I talking about? But Pastor Andrew, that's too hard to understand. I'm not going to believe that. Pastor Andrew, I was never taught that. I really struggle to embrace that. Pastor Andrew, how am I possibly to live, or how how can I how can I justify in my mind a God like that? You're gonna be tempted to lean away from this sovereign God. When you get to Romans 12 through 15, Pastor Andrew, that's impossible. (laughs) To live as a sacrifice for this God at the workplace, but not at home. No. That's impossible. You don't know who I have to live with or vice versa, right? I can live for you God at home, but not at school or at work. You don't know who I go to school with. You don't know who I go to work with every day. Or maybe this. There is no way I can truly live a regular life of submission like that, Pastor Andrew. How am I possibly to live in honesty and purity in the life and the world I live in right now? The 21st century full of technology and all of these hurdles and all of these roadblocks and speed bumps all over morally. How do I live for this God in pure submission with TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and any one of your social media platforms? How how do I really live for this God? I can't do it. It comes back to this question. Do I fully trust the God of the Gospel? practically sometimes as we seek to understand and live out theological truths it is as if we were standing overwhelmed have you done this you you interact with a gospel truth sometime and you're just like "Ooh, yes i believe it but that's enormous it's almost as if we were standing at the base of mount everest and thinking am i really supposed to do that (laughs) have you ever been there theologically you ever been there practically And we're talking about standing at the base of the tallest unsubmerged mountain on planet Earth, 29,000 feet above sea level is the summit. 6,000 climbers that have been known to summit it, only 200 of them have ever summited Mount Everest without supplemental oxygen. You need help. A mountain that takes years of training costs up to $100,000 to climb and takes an average of two months to summit. Maybe you're standing at the beginning of Romans 9 through 11 saying, oh, I trust this God. Oh, but God help me to trust you. Well, by way of personal testimony, I'm going to address for just a couple minutes. How do we approach Mount Everest theologies in our own life? A couple quick suggestions. Take them or leave them. I would suggest taking them. I think it will help you to ease through this discussion through this study with joy rather than pain. What are these suggestions? Here they are. Number one, we must approach Mount Everest theology with a humble openness to the truth of God's all sufficient word. What do I mean? Would you trust the map and the guide? God's word rightly divided and God's spirit fully trusted. Trust the map. Trust the guide. God intended every word of what's in your Bible. Would you trust it? Even if you don't completely understand it? Don't run to Google. (laughs) That's what we do. When we have theological questions, what do we do? Run to Google. Run to your favorite preacher. Run to your favorite seminary teacher who already sympathizes with your predisposed position. So they can arm you with what you already know. That's what we do. I'm guilty of the same things. Even Google. (laughs) What are we to do, my friends? We are to humbly submit to God's word, rightly divided. I absolutely love how Jeremiah the prophet pointed God's words, uh, pointed God's people to God's words. And here's how he says, God confronts these false prophets of Judah, and he says this, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. My friends, that's the word of God that's on your laps right now. That word. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, declares the Lord, who steal my words from another, one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who uses their tongue and declares, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord. And who tells them and lead uh, my people? Astra- who- and who tells them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness? Catch that. Lead my people astray by their lies and recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. My friends, I would encourage you to embrace that mindset when it comes to Mount Everest theology. Let God's be truth, let God's word be true, and every man a liar. When it comes to it, God's word wins every single time. My friends, that is my exhortation to the body of Christ here at Crosspoint. If God's word says it, believe it. Hold to the all-sufficiency of God's Word. Don't approach, as we've said, don't approach God's Word with my thoughts in a whiteout. Believe what God says in His words intended. Here's another quick suggestion. How do we approach Mount Everest theology, both creedal and practical theology, with a joyful heart of dependence on God? When I was in college, God opened my heart to, the, uh, to Ezra. You ever studied Ezra? And I love a verse in Ezra. Ezra 7, verse 10. And for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What did that say? He set his heart towards God's word. My brothers and sisters in Christ, as finite humans, we are not meant to understand all of these truths about God here and now. What we are called to have hearts prepared to joyfully trust this God. The fact is, there still remains secrets that belong only to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Things that he, only He understands. They're not meant to be completely understand by, understood by you or by me, but just because we cannot understand these truths fully does not mean we should keep them at arm's distance. No, my friends. We are to trust God and joyfully embrace them. Embrace them fully. Here's a practical caveat. If you look at the New Testament of Scriptures, the importance of this truth, primarily with divine election, consider this. Nearly every key passage in the New Testament that deals with progressive sanctification is built on the truth of divine election. Check it out. So in other words, if you mess with divine election, you are tampering with the stability of your entire progressive sanctification. You want to grow in Christ? Trust this God. Here's another suggestion. How do we approach Mount Everest theology with an unwavering commitment to see God magnified over man? Man. The sad fact in the world we live in, from the garden on, man has been, te- been tempted to make himself the center of God's story. That's the temptation. I've got to be the center of this story. I mean, that, that's what we always do. I mean, you want to test, go to your yearbook from 30 years ago. Where do you first go? You want to go find your picture. <laughs> that's just who we are. We want to be the center of the story. But sadly, in theology, a lot of times we want to be the center of God's story. We are not the center of God's story. He is the center of His own story. Not to oversimplify it or to claim in any way that I have arrived or we have arrived because God is growing me by His grace in this area every single day. As soon as you think you got a grasp of this, it's like, yeah, right. He proves his grace and his infiniteness all day long, especially in this discussion. But as a family, we refer to this as big God theology versus big man theology. My friends at Cross Point Community Church. As we seek to magnify God over men, let us run over and over and over and over again to what the apostle Paul says in the passage that we started out with today. Oh, the depths of the riches and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His inscrutable and inscrutable His ways. Last suggestion: How do we approach Mount Everest type theologies? with a sacrificial obedience to God's revealed commands. This is so good. Because sometimes we get so caught up in trying to understand the theology that we ignore the clear imperatives. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to dial in on this. And once I dial this in, I've arrived. No! What if we just simply committed our lives to submitting to the lordship of christ and obeying his revealed commands what am i talking about the temptation and divine election which has caused so many to derail is to say okay that's fine god's got this all i'm sitting my backside on the couch you got you got it hey what about the commission what about the commandment what about the truths of the word that say love your neighbor what about jesus teaching that says go get them Share the Gospel anywhere and everywhere with anyone and everyone. My friends, as we approach Mount Everest theology, we don't ignore the true commands of God's Word. We sacrificially obey each and every one of His commands, even the one that says to go to my neighbor and tell him about Jesus. So if you embrace a theology that does not involve obedience, my friend, you've embraced the wrong theology. Hopefully these suggestions help as we joyfully continue on our journey through some of the richest texts in all of the Scriptures. So my friend, back to our question. See if I can find it here. Do you fully trust the God of the Gospel? Do you fully trust the God of the gospel. So God, that is our prayer. Some things in your word are easier to understand and apply than others. But God, we go to your word realizing that every word is inspired by you and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So God, thank you, thank you, thank you for the truths of That we find in Romans chapter 9 through 16. Even the ones that are hard to comprehend. And even the ones that are harder to live. So give us grace. Our Father we come to you understanding that you are God and we are not. We come to you submitting ourselves fully as living sacrifices. My friend here today. I want to thank you for being here. And thank you you for listening so well. I acknowledged in the in the sermon, there, we're probably all over the map as far as our backgrounds with some of these things. But will you trust the God of the Gospel? Will you trust God's Word? And we're going to see verses on both sides of this discussion. But even as you look at both sides of this discussion, we pray God's grace for big God theology would you pray that would you pray that you would embrace a big God theology there may be some here today that like man I caught a little bit of that but not all of it we say this every week it is no mistake that you are here my friend The story of the Bible is that you were born into a world full of broken sinners. Why? Because the story of the Bible is that Adam sinned against a holy God. And because of this sin, death came into this world. But God in His rich mercy and kindness sent Jesus Christ to take your sin on His cross. Scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. My friend, have you placed your faith and trust in this Jesus? The one who went to the cross for you? The one who is right now drawing you? I I, I understand this because you're here. You're hearing the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God is drawing you, my friend. Would you respond in grace? to this grace with faith in just a minute we're going to close with an anthem of prayer, praise to our holy God we're going to sing one of my favorite songs ever Behold Our God some of you are wrestling with this in your own minds as we close out this service there will be ones to the front here to my right to your left that would love to talk with you more about this God and a relationship you can have with him Would you come talk to someone about this? Would you come today to God in saving faith? So God, we thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. These are wonderful truths from a wonderful God. Give us grace now, we pray. Thank you for every single word of of your Bible. Bless now as we close with an anthem of praise to you. Receive these songs of praise from hearts of humility and gratitude. Again, I thank you for every single person here today. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. My friends, would you stand as we close with this anthem of praise? Behold, our God. Uh, there's some of you came today ready to share of your resources and corporate worship. We're not going to pass any offering place. There's boxes in the back, or you can share online. But as we close out with these thoughts of today, would you? Look at the words on the screen. Would you sing these from hearts of worship? Thank you for being here today. May God bless you as you live the transformed life this week.